Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that for a very limited time only, Douglas Wilson's Man Rampant is available worldwide. If you go to canonpress.com slash manrampant, you will find that there is a quarantine special on Man Rampant that is available worldwide. Additionally, at canonpress.com from March 30th through April 3rd, we are having the spring sale. Everything's 20% off. For every order that reaches $50, you will get a free copy of N.D. Wilson's satire of the Left Behind series called Right Behind for free. Additionally, for every order that you spend $100, you will get free shipping. So, run, don't walk. The Canon Press sale at canonpress.com. And additionally, if you live outside of the country and you can't access Man Rampant on Amazon Prime, you can get it now at canonpress.com slash manrampant. So, welcome to Plodcast, episode 135. Good to have you here. Thanks for listening. So, I, I talked a little bit about uh, COVID-19 uh, last time, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about it uh, today. Not, not about the virus so much as the impact of the virus and the impact of the reaction to it on um, our presidential uh, politics. So, here's the, here's the problem. Um, you would have to have a peculiar turn of mind. You'd have to be, have a really conspiratorial frame of mind to think that somebody said, some, somebody somewhere said, the Russian collusion story did not work. Release the virus. So I, I don't think there was anything like that. At the same time, we not only live in political times, we live in hyper-political times. And everywhere you go, there you are. You don't give up your framework. You don't give up your worldview. You don't give up the way you uh, uh, look at the world simply because you're in the middle of a crisis. I saw that just yesterday, the, um, the Democrats in the Senate uh, defeated a relief measure um, because it didn't include money for bailing out Planned Parenthood clinics. So... In California, in shutting down all the various uh, non-essential businesses, marijuana dispensaries remain essential. Abortion clinics remain essential. Crisis does not erase your worldview. A crisis does not uh, remove your reigning gods from you, right? So the Democrats remain Democrats. Progressives remain progressives. Conservatives remain conservatives for the most part, except for a trillion here and a trillion there. They're not being all that conservative, but be that as it may. Um, I want to talk about just the plain old politics of the situation. And in what follows, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm just observing. I'm not so, I'm not so much approving or, or disapproving. Um, once, the, once the crisis blew into full flame, once the crisis was a bona fide crisis, and had everybody's attention. And that's the meaning of the crisis. Everybody's looking at it. Everybody's tuning into the news in the evening to find out what happened today. 
um, once the crisis blew up into a regular old crisis, the Democrats have been doing absolutely everything they can think of to do to turn Donald Trump into Herbert Hoover. All right, that's what they want to do. They want, they want Trump to be the one who was on watch when the invasion came. All right, they, and so they want, to, they want to blame him for this. And they're going to do everything they can. And, and Trump uh, is no slouch when it comes to PR moves. So he got out of, in front of it and started throwing trillions of dollars around. And, of course, that's not good policy. I object to that sort of thing on the basis of policy. But I, you have to admit that it's a grand show. Um, so it's going to be hard to stick Donald Trump with being an uncaring soul when he's walking down Main Street of America strewing trillions of dollars out of his hat. Um, so that, and again, that's not a good idea. And if he had been fiscally responsible um, in that moment, he would have been uh, hammered for being a Scrooge. So they're going to have they're going to have a hard time hammering him for that because I think Trump got out ahead of them politically. Whether he got out ahead of them fiscally is another question because fiscal realities are operating on their own timetable. They uh, math. Well, at a certain point, we have to say that math doesn't care. All right, math doesn't care anymore. So when when the debts come due and the United States has to default on our national debt some way, somehow, it's just a matter of who we default on, not whether we default. Um, people can trace this moment being part of the problem. But Trump is simply trying to stay out ahead of it electorally. He doesn't, he doesn't want them to turn him into Herbert Hoover. In the meantime, Joe Biden sewed up the nomination, apparently, kind of mathematically impossible. Well, not mathematically impossible. It's practically impossible for uh, Bernie Sanders to catch up with Joe Biden uh, now. And so he's likely to not catch up. And then Joe Biden's going to be nominated. Joe Biden has um, committed to nominating a woman to be his running mate. Uh, and if there's anybody who is more of a deer-in-the-headlights politician, I don't remember one uh, in my lifetime. He was, not always, he was always a garrulous and glad-handing kind of person and sometimes would talk nonsense. But not the kind of nonsense he's talking now, where he appears to be in over his head, way out of his depth. And so the question is whether the female nominee for vice president will be um, an outrageous pick like Hillary or another diff a different kind of outrageous pick like Elizabeth Warren or a safety first pick like, well, there is no safety first pick. Um, so. Basically, I think that, and all the initial returns are, at least in terms of not being blamed for the virus and not being blamed for not caring in the aftermath of the, the virus, so far, Trump is, uh, his, his uh, popularity and uh, his popularity in terms of handling the virus well has grown. I mean, golly, the October surprise coming in March is just. It just shows how everything gets accelerated these days.
So we continue with podcast episode 135. In the previous installment, we talked about the verb that means to behave in an unseemly manner. Now we come to the thing itself. Askemosune. Askemosune. This is rendered in one place as that which is unseemly, and in another place as shame. The first place is found in the Apostle Paul's robust rejection of homosexual behavior. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Romans 127. Some modern folks want to say that the gag reflex when it comes to homosexual perversion is itself the problem, some kind of homophobia. But Paul gives this kind of thinking the back of his hand. Men with men work, quote, that which is unseemly. It is not fitting because it does not fit. In the second passage, which is from Revelation, we are told that the spirits of devils, in the shape of frogs, come out of the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet in order to gather everyone for the great battle of Armageddon. In this context, we are told that the believer must walk faithfully in the light of the Lord's sure coming, and how he must take care not to believe the lies. Revelation 16:15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. That's, there's our word there, and they see his shame. If he believes the lies, his shame will be exposed as he walks naked. The book I'd like to review for this, uh, this go-around is Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World by a gent named Weatherford. Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Let me begin by getting my one criticism out of the way. When Weatherford talks about the making of the modern world, um, he is basically talking about how the Mongol Empire was um, the conduit by which a lot of the innovations that practical, inventive uh, innovations from China made their way to the West. And, and there were many uh, examples of it from battlefield tactics to weapons of war and, and so on. There were a lot of these innovations. And... Um, and Weatherford, basically, uh, his, his admiration for the Mongol Empire is, um, uh, comes through this, in this book. And you see how the admiration that he has for the Mongol Empire is, it, it's not, uh, he's not blowing smoke. And it's, there's much about the Mongol Empire that was admirable. But when he starts talking about how um, the West had these, this fearsome caricature, of the of the Mongols, you know, raiding out of the east with terrible ferocity, like they were scarcely human orcs. I wondered, and perhaps more than once, I wondered, did did you read the first half of this book? You know, uh, the, I mean the the Mongols struck terror into the the hearts of the of the cities and the people that they raided, and they struck terror for a reason. It was not that they had no uh, conscience or no rule that they lived by. It was just a very alien set of rules. And th- they were an alien people, and they, um, they, they made a mess. They, they really created a lot of mayhem in the West. Well, in Mongolia, they, um, they came out of the, the, the steppes of Mongolia, 
and basically had uh, two movements. One was south into China, and they, in effect, wound up creating modern China. And they um, moved west into the Middle East and into, and into Europe, conquering a number of cities. And uh, Genghis Khan was clearly a, uh, clearly a military uh, genius. He was disciplined. He was uh, fierce. He was intelligent. He was uh, uh, dedicated to his cause and, and all of that. Uh, his grandson was Kublai Khan. So Genghis, and one of the reasons I appreciated this book so much and enjoyed uh, going through it as much as I did is because this, this is an uh, area of the world and an era of history that has been pretty, um, a pretty big blur, pretty empty blur as far as I'm concerned. And this, uh, this filled in a lot of uh, details uh, for me. So when the Mongols did what they did and they established, um, basically they uh, established a, uh, a source of revenue, they were very, a very poor people on the steppes, and they conquered these uh, Chinese cities and they conquered European cities and the goods began to flow back into Mongolia, um, they became very wealthy. Well, there's a, well, I'll put it, they became very rich. Um, there's a difference between uh, being rich and being wealthy. Uh, you're wealthy when you own the means of production. You're rich when you have a lot of stuff. So um, the Middle East, sitting on lots and lots of oil, they're rich, but they're not wealthy because they don't have, they don't have means of uh, production. Um, they, they're not able to, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to sustain it once the, uh, in the words of Jethro Tull, when the, la when the oil barons drip dry. So when, the, when that happens, they're, they're going to be all out. Well, the, Mongolian, the, the, the Mongols were uh, incredibly rich as a result of all these conquests, these waves of conquest. They gave no, uh, they gave no quarter, or you know, if someone double-crossed them, if someone went back on their word, they gave no quarter. They would, um, they would let, let you live if you agreed to pay tribute and, and, and play ball quietly. Basically, if you read this book, you will come to admire Genghis Khan, who was, in fact, a murderous thug, but uh, a murderous, talented thug. Uh, you know, when he was a, just a boy, he murdered his brother, for example. Uh, and a lot of the, a lot of the um, details of this come from a, a secret history that was uh, buried and hidden and lost for many, many uh, centuries. And uh, just recently um, has been put back into circulation, and, and a lot of these things have been pieced together. So if you want to learn where modern China came from, if you want to learn how the Mongols united and sort of created modern China, if you, wanted to, if you want to read how the Mongols established trade routes and uh, how they um, invented paper currency and they invented inflation and they, inv they invented all kinds of things. Uh, and they were the, it was the Mongol trade routes that uh, were the conduit for uh, the Black Plague moving east to west into, uh, into Europe. There, there is a lot of rich information here. Uh, it's just a very enjoyable read. Mm -hmm.